Our scripture lesson for this day is found in Paul's letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy. We're reading from the first chapter. Listen. For the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has also now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But this gospel, for it I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold the standard of sound teaching that you have learned and heard from me. In the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. May God bless the reading of his holy word. I want to thank your pastors, Sterling Boykin and Kristen Wright, for their kind invitation to come and be here this day. Drexel and I want to thank all of you for letting us come and be a part of this great celebration. Mobile is, pop, is popular to us, yeah, it's beloved to both of us for a number of reasons, and we're excited that we could be here on this good day and share in this wonderful occasion with you. 80 years of Ashland Place, that's a good 80 years. My time with you was some of the best time in my entire life, and I appreciate all that you taught me and the many ways that you helped me. It is a joy now for Drexel and me to be able to come home and to share with you. Thank you for this wonderful occasion. I want to thank George Hardesty for his wonderful words. You look good in a bow tie, George. Thank you, sir. When I left here, George gave me a bumper sticker. He said, uh, you can display this if you wish. I was very fond of it, so I put it up on the bookshelf in my office so you couldn't miss it when you walked in. It said, Jesus is coming. Look busy.
I got busy every time I looked at that, George. It is good to be here with you. Since the 18th century, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus have been known to the church as the pastoral epistles or letters. They are filled with pastoral instructions. It's like reading a letter from your pastor at home. They offer guidance. They're written to Timothy and Titus, who were companions and helpers of Paul in his missionary endeavors. According to 2 Timothy, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter that we've read this day. Some scholars have called 2 Timothy Paul's last will and testament for Timothy. It may well have been. The actual term wisdom, the Greek term Sophia, is not found in 2 Timothy. Nevertheless, 2 Timothy, in all of its lines, offers wisdom to Timothy from Paul. Paul says he gives thanks because he has received him worships even as his ancestors did. Paul is passing along to Timothy what he received, inherited wisdom. All of us here have inherited wisdom. Paul in 1 Corinthians is writing and he says, I did not receive, or I did not make this up that I speak now to you. I received it. It was given me. It was passed down to me. And what was he talking about? He said, how on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. But after the supper... He gave thanks. He took the cup and he said, This cup is my blood. My blood shed for the sins of this world. You drink from this cup. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Paul passed down what he received. The Psalms teach us in great wisdom that it is our duty in turn to take what God has shown us and given us in the past and to share it with our children, our grandchildren, and they in turn are to pass it down to those who come after them. In this way, the faith of the church lives in every year. The Latin term traditio, which we translate tradition, refers to both the action of passing along the Christian faith and it also refers at the very same time to the content of the tradition that is being passed on. The Christian tradition is ours. It's a gift. We learn from it, and it, is, it instructs us in what we believe and how we are to live in this world. Paul refers in verse 5 to the Christian tradition. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and second in your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. This faith is inherited and passed on to others. It is inherited wisdom. Now, as a teenager, I fell in love with 2 Timothy because when I read the words about Timothy's grandmother and mother, and then in the next chapter read about them teaching him the scripture, I had found a place that was very, 
very reminiscent to me. My grandmother, whom I called Mama Frank, and my mother, Ruth, whom I called Ruth, taught me the Christian faith. They taught me how to pray and read the Bible. I, uh, wherever I put it in here, anyway, I brought, here it is. You get, I'm getting old. This is my grandmother's Bible. The pages are falling out of it. Uh, she got me a Bible just like this with the pages not falling out of it. My Bible, like hers, the pages are now falling out of it. She told me how to mark my Bible and to trace favorite passages of scriptures through it. And she taught me how to pray. My grandmother was an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. And she pastored a little church in Bonifay, Florida. It was in that church that I preached my first sermon 52 years ago. My grandmother lived the Christian faith. She prayed differently than I and my parents prayed. My grandmother prayed out loud. You could hear her praying from the yard. It was a remarkable experience. I remember telling mother, God lives at this house. And she said, you better believe it. There were five of us, cousins, her grandboys, Bane, Danny, Kurt, Gary, and me. I was the oldest and meanest of the five. We loved staying with grandmother, Mama Frank, in the summers. We were playing one summer. It was a great time. We roamed the fields, chased the cows, played baseball, got in fights. It was a great time. Granddaddy called us to the house to get cleaned up for dinner, so we did. And when we finished dinner, she said, now help me clean the kitchen, and we did. And she said, say your prayers and go to bed, and we did. About four o'clock, I guess it was, she woke us up. Bane and I were in one bed, and Gary and Danny in the other. She woke us up praying. And I lay there and listened to Mama Frank pray, and I said, oh my, she's praying for us. I didn't know Bane was awake. He said, yes, she is. She knows what we did. <laughs> and I said, shut up, Bane. She does not know what we did. He said, yes, she does. God talks to that old woman. <laughs> we lay there a few minutes before, and I said, Bane, I'm going in there and pray with her. He said, I'm getting under the bed. We prayed with our grandmother, and she and my grandfather called the coffee table in the den their altar. And they would place their Bible on that coffee table and kneel down and read and pray. My mother also bought me a Bible. She taught me how to use it. When I was in school, it was not a crime to read the scriptures or pray in school. In fact, it was considered your duty. So I was, because I was a member of the student council, asked to um, give the devotionals Monday through Friday. I was petrified. I told my mom about it, and she said, don't worry. Get the Bible and bring it to the table, the family Bible, you know, one of these 20-pound jobs. And I put it on the kitchen table, and she opened it up, and she said, now. She said, I think a safe topic for you to discuss would be love. 
And I said, okay, what do I say? She said, well, the place to begin is here. And she opened the Bible to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. She says, now you see these numbers? I said, yes, ma'am. She turned to the back of the Bible to the numbers. And she said, here you will find scriptures that refer to the love of God in Christ Jesus. There are a lot of them. Pick one for each day after John 3.16 and talk about love in Christ Jesus. I said, okay. So I tried it. Ms. McGraw, who was the queen of math in Florida at our little high school, uh, came up to me after one of my devotionals and she said, Wesley, I'm enjoying what you're saying about love. And I said, well, thank you. She said, let me ask you a question. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, Wesley, do you pray often? I said, yes, ma'am. My grandmother and mother see to it. She said, good. My grandmother, and of course my grandfather, my dad as well, and my mother, taught me to pray. And they taught me to read the Bible. It was an experience that you don't forget. Reading the Bible every day, praying to God every day, is a way of life. And it can, as Paul says, rekindle the faith that is within you. The gospel Paul refers to in verses 7 through 14. The gospel, he says, is God's love shown to the world in Christ Jesus. That is inherited wisdom. That's his way of saying what John 3.16 says. The gospel is God's love shown to the world. The fourth gospel, John's gospel, is where you find that wonderful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. That is inherited wisdom. If you look at your bulletin this morning, the whole thing is inherited wisdom. The prayers, the hymns, the testimonies, the call to stewardship, the whole thing is inherited wisdom. You don't make this stuff up. It's passed down to us to receive and to live. The Holy Scripture teaches us that God always takes the initiative. Throughout the years of my ministry, I've heard people say time and again, I found God. No, they didn't. God found them. God first loves us. And because of that grace, we are enabled to love God. Some of Paul's first words in this chapter, grace, mercy, and peace to you in Christ Jesus the Lord. Let me ask you a question. In fact, I came here to ask this question. When was the last time that you realized that Jesus Christ loves you? I don't mean up here. I mean here. When was the last time that you really realized Jesus Christ loves you? Karl Barth, whom I love, was the greatest theologian in the 20th century. 
The truth is he may well be the best theologian since Thomas Aquinas, who lived in the 13th century. Karl Barth still, after all these years, has written more Christian theology than any theologian in the history of the church. He was not afraid to stand up for Jesus Christ and the Christian tradition. Karl Barth knew what Adolf Hitler was before Germany knew, and he spoke about it. Hitler feared him and had him deported. And when the German church was beginning to play politics instead of Christianity, and it embraced National Socialism and referred to Adolf Hitler as the Fuhrer of the Church, Karl Barth wrote the Barman Declaration, which in its principal statement says, the Church of Jesus Christ has no Fuhrer but Jesus Christ. Karl Barth visited the United States in the 1960s. When he came, it was a celebrated event, of course. The theologian is coming to the United States. As he got off the plane, he was mobbed by camera persons and reporters from everywhere. One reporter managed to get him to stop, and he said to him, Professor Barth, what's the greatest theological truth that you have discovered in your many years of preaching, research, and teaching? And with a twinkle in his eye, Karl Barth said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The greatest theologian in the world. I have his books. They cover a wall, and they're fat and thick and small print. All of it he summed up in one line. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. My good friend Ben Watts was for six years the Secretary of Transportation for the state of Florida. He was in school with me in Chipley. He was one of the best athletes in Florida, but instead of playing football in the SEC, he went to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Uh, he maintained and graduated with an average of 98. He was rather smart. He served the country in the Army Corps of Engineers. He's retired now. I called him several years ago and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm enjoying retirement. And I'm also reading Bishop N.T. Wright's big books on Christian origins and the people of God. Those books have about 700 pages apiece. There were three volumes then, there are five now. And it's, it's heavy stuff. I said, I'm not surprised that someone like you would be reading N.T. Wright. He said, well, it's a lot of theology. I said, yeah, it is. He said, you want me to tell you my theology? I said, I'd, I'd like to hear that, Mr. Watts. And he said, here it is. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I said, Ben, that is the sum of my theology as well. I hope you'll pray for Ben and Gardas, his wife, their children. Ben is undergoing treatment now for a malignant brain tumor. The last note I got from Gardas was, we still have the peace that passes understanding. When was the last time, honest to God, when was the last time you realized that Jesus loves you? Will Wilmot said he was trying to teach a group of obstinate teenagers 
a disinterested crowd the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, as I taught, one young teenage boy struck me as being particularly bored. He said, so I asked a question, hopefully to reel them back in. I said, can any one of you tell me what the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means? And he said, to my surprise, the bored young kid said, I can. The woman said, please do. The young boy said, Jesus told the truth about God and human beings. He preached the love of God to everyone. But he made some religious folks and politicians angry, and they killed him. But God raised Jesus from the dead. Now Jesus is, an al is alive and in this world looking for all of us, and not a one of us is safe. That's inherited wisdom, and that's the gospel truth. The grace of Almighty God, the free, unmerited favor of the Lord, is what we experience, what we discover, what we find, thanks be to God, in Jesus Christ, and it is for all of us. And the grace of God is that God loves you, and God is looking for you. Do you know that? The song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, that's Inherited Wisdom. It's one of my favorites. It was written by Robert Robinson in 1758. Robinson heard George Whitfield, John Wesley's roommate, preach. And in 1755, he was marvelously converted. He became a minister, first in the Baptist Church, then in the Methodist Church, and then in several denominations later. But over the years, he became unstable and extremely unhappy. His Christian faith and beliefs appeared to be unimportant to him. Years passed, and he was riding one day in a stagecoach with a young woman who, probably out of monotony and the travels, began to sing. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter burn my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. When she finished singing, she asked Robinson, What do you think of that song? His reply shocked her. He said, Madam, I am the unfortunate man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give worlds if I had them to feel now as I felt then. Well, you can feel your faith rekindled. Why? Because Jesus Christ loves you, and he's looking for you. That's inherited wisdom. Psalm 119, longest book in the Psalter. It's 176 verses. 
I mean, you have to take a couple of days off to read through that thing. And the whole thing is about the beauty of the law, the wonder of God's wisdom, how great it is, and how it instructs us and teaches us. And then you come to, you come to its ending. It begins this way. Happy are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are they who observe his decrees and seek him with all their hearts. Over and over and over, that kind of thing. But between those verses and the last verse, what happens? Life. And in the 176th verse it says, Let me live. I will praise you. Please let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a sheep that is lost. Search for your servant. I do not forget your commandments. Jesus Christ loves you. And he searches for you. Give yourself to Jesus Christ. Find your life in him. Read scripture. Pray scripture. Talk about scripture. Learn the faith of the church. The Apostles' Creed, the Baptismal Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Communion Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Orthodox Creed. Know who you are. Jesus Christ loves you. And he's looking for you. That's all I came to say. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.